All we need is a little understanding Walk a mile in their shoes And if we keep our hearts open-minded We'll enjoy this wild ride called Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Truths We Hide podcast. Oh my gosh, so I'm really, 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 really excited to have Kurt Balish on today. We've been trying to do this for a while, and so we finally got to do it, but uh, Kurt is a veteran, Army veteran, 10 years and one month, two, no, one day? To the day. To the day. <laughs> and he is a father of four. He also owns Balish Woodworks, which if you are in Fayetteville, North Carolina, you absolutely have to go to his website. You have to go visit him because his work is amazing. And I'm kind of jealous because if I were closer, I'd have everything done by him. But you can order stuff online. So I'm going to introduce you to Kurt. I'm going to have him talk about his time in the Army, about his business, about his life, about everything. And yes, so very excited. Kurt, thank you so much for being on here i just want to hug you <laughs> thank you. So, thank you so much for having me as well this has been a long time overdue um previous electronic difficulties at my shop has prevented us from doing this earlier but i think everything happens in its time and it's the perfect time for this you're right you're you're absolutely right so tell us about your time in the army and what did you do uh, I joined in 2003. Uh, I took some time, about six, nine months after high school, before I went in for OSET one station unit training at Fort Leonard Wood, where I was trained to be a combat engineer. I walked into my recruiter's office and I said, I want to build stuff and blow stuff up. He said, I got this great job for you. And it turned out I was just walking through minefields and doing that kind of stuff. It was not the job I was sold, but hey, I did it. Um, I got, uh, it was unfortunate. Fortunately for me, while I was going through basic training, I was selected to become part of a K-9 unit that the United States Army Engineer Corps was uh, basing off of the United Kingdom's program. So I was selected out of basic training along with about a total of seven people, I think, out of basic training. And then they filled in some other people. We were about a unit of like 15 to 20 when we first started. We went over to the United Kingdom and learned how to handle military working dogs for demining operations. Um, we returned from that training, got overseas. My first tour in Afghanistan, I was slotted out to uh, ODA, Operational Detachment Alpha, for a special forces team where we were augmenting their capabilities on um, the Afghanistan-Pakistan border. Um, had a great deployment, met a lot of really good guys. One of my favorite memories of the military happened during that deployment. I was sitting up on top of a mountain drinking shadu chai with the sun setting behind me, rubbled walls at the top of an OP and RPGs laying up against the wall. And it was just like a picture that you would see on a movie cover almost. And then I, I returned from that deployment. I had a lot of fun over there, uh, but the dog world was kind of repetitive. It was the wake up, do the same thing, 
train your dog the same way every day. And I needed a little bit of variety. I went on to attend SFAS in, uh, I want to say it was January 06 is when I went to selection. I was a first time select. I started the Q course later on or January 05. And then I went through the Q course. I got predominantly white all the way through. And then I was dropped kind of for an ego violation as well as I was working a second job without command authorization as a personal trainer, which is where I met my wife. Um, so again, all things happen for the right reasoning. I, at, the, at the time I felt like I'd failed, like I'd failed out of the Q course, like I'd, uh, I wasn't living up to my full potential. I was slotted underneath the USASOC and re-slotted as a um, 68 Whiskey Whiskey 1 medic, which was Special Operations Combat Medic because I had, I had completed enough of the medical course and the Special Forces course to be able to make that transition. They had already spent all that money training me in the medical field. They didn't want it to go to waste. So they re-slotted me underneath a civil affairs unit where we went out. I did a few deployments to various parts of the world, including uh, Iraq, a couple to Iraq. Um, another ego violation, we'll call it, where I mouthed off to the wrong person, got me sent to the 82nd, where my soul was completely sucked out of my body, and I lost all inclination to serve in the military anymore. And I got out of the military after 10 years and one month to the day. I got in in January 2003. I got out February 2013 and the days it was 15th and 15th so it's it's that's why i say to the day it's it's really uncommon that you see stuff like that so um i got out i was kind of wandering and lost i kind of lost sight of who i was what i was meant to do and that's kind of when i segued into contracting and um contracting seemed to fill the financial hole but not the family hole and my wife asked me one time after coming home, can, can you stay home now? And I just like, all right, let's make this happen. So out of that, the ashes of kind of everything that I'd been trained to do all my life um, came this Phoenix rising, you know, another thing that I've been trained to do all my life by my family, Ballish Woodworks. You know, we floundered through the first couple of years as another business called Fayetteville Wood Art and then Dallas Woodworks was the rebranding as we went professional with the ideas. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I've had a lot. I've had a lot of interesting things happen in my life and a lot of them have been self-inflicted gunshot wounds. <laughs> <laughs> but it helps you grow as a person, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, in my failure in the Q course, I learned that, um, you know, some things were better to sacrifice your desires for. I, I met my wife there. Um, I got introduced to two great kids that I call my own to this day. Uh, I went on to have a child with that woman and I spent, I spent 13 years with her before she passed in uh, March, you know, and that was kind of tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you you guys created Ballish Woodworks and it has grown tremendously with just all the stuff I mean just everything that you've created it's it's amazing you have a workshop you provide workshops so tell tell us how how did that even how did you even decide to do that um, my wife was really the driving force behind a lot of who I am today. 
the woodworking path kind of started with my wife wanted a pallet table made something that was really trendy at the time. You were seeing a lot of pallet wood furniture. Um, she wanted to paint the map of the United States on there and draw on the capitals and put a uh, American flag, distressed flag on there. Um, and it was our first project that we kind of did together. And through that, I reconnected with a lot of what I had learned as a kid growing up. And when I would go home and spend time with my father in between deployments, uh, it was woodworking seemed to ground uh, ground me in some sense of purpose, some sense of accomplishment, building confidence again as a person outside of the military. Um, part of my reasoning for leaving the military and contracting world were accumulating back injuries that I felt made me no longer a combat multiplier as, as a specialty trained medic, but as a combat liability. So that was a really hard pill for me to swallow during that time, as well as losing who I was as a power lifter. Um, you know, but Ballish Woodworks helped me kind of rebuild that self-confidence that I had a purpose again. And that was kind of what really ignited the desire to want to be in the shop. At first, like I said, we were, we were Fayetteville Wood Art. We were, we were combining my wife's, arti my wife's artistic skills with my woodcrafting skills. And we were kind of creating these one-offs and these painted pallet wood tables. And for a couple of years, they were kind of trendy. And then the trend died and people weren't willing to pay what I needed to make in order to call it a business. Um, fortunately, my wife was still working full time. Uh, she was carrying some of the benefits for a few years and before I received my VA disability rating. Um, so she was kind of the conduit that pushed me to closer to woodworking throughout those years. Um, the back injuries had really started taking their toll and I, I'd fallen into a lot of chronic pain. Um, there was days when I couldn't get up off the couch. I'd be sitting there crying and my wife would be, she didn't know what to do to help me. Um, and I went to a, a retreat down in Texas and I came back from that retreat and there was something inside of me that switched that said, if I'm going to be in pain, I might as well have a purpose in, in being in pain. So I dedicated more of my time to being out in the wood shop. And the more time that I got out there, the less I noticed that the pain wasn't dominating who I was anymore. And that was really important for me as a person to come back from those chronic injuries that had stacked up from service and someone that identified themselves as that job position and their achievements in that role, woodworking helped kind of rebuild who I was. And my wife was there pushing me through the entire way. Um, 2013, it was Fayetteville Wood Art. And then 2018, we rebranded re, re to Ballish Woodworks. And that was kind of when my wife stepped in. She used her marketing experience from the Fayetteville Observer, her graphic design experience from, from college, as well as just her general artistic ability to create the brand, to create the website, to create the persona that we really wanted to establish as a fine woodworking place. Um, as we started gaining momentum on that, she started wanting we both always have this desire to serve. I was, I'm part of a nonprofit organization where we raise money for other nonprofits in our area. So having that desire to serve is important to me. And that's kind of where we started getting off on those workshops and trying to fund and build our nonprofit idea at the Artisans Outreach. That's so beautiful. I love how you guys, you team together and, and put your creativity to create this 
this business because I know, you know, just based off of seeing your Facebook posts and seeing the work that she created is absolutely beautiful. And, you know, you guys created this legacy and it's just, it's really amazing what you have come up with even after getting out of the military. Cause I know losing your identity and not feeling like, you know, not feeling worthy and just all these things that happened, but then you went into this creative outlet and created something huge. So I'm so glad that you were able to turn to something that you were passionate about because I know how hard it can be once you leave service and not knowing what the heck you're going to do, but you had that support and that push to do yeah. it. So that's, that's really awesome she was like that synergism, like in medical world, we say synergistic effect, like morphine plus um, anti-nausea, anti-medic medicines cause kind of a synergistic effect where one plus one doesn't equal two anymore, it equals three or a compounding factor. And that's what I like to think of my wife as being. She was my synergistic soulmate. She was, she was everything that made me a better person and a better man as I got out of the military and I no longer had that kind of purpose pulling me through life because you didn't really have a choice you just did it because that's all you knew kind of like being indoctrinated into the prison system just slightly different application <laughs> so true so you mentioned you losing jamie and it was from something that was completely unexpected can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, it was March 29th. I, it was a Sunday. My wife and I had taken a nap together on the couches like we usually do on a Sunday. And she was up late the night before uh, with, with some family stuff. So she was a little tired. We didn't think anything about the exhaustion, her being a little tired. It was about 2.15. Um, I told her, I said, I'm going to go get in the car. I'm going to head to the shop. We were going to work on a Chevron board together where we we're going to take strips of walnut, maple, and cherry and kind of build one of those Chevron boards that you see kind of trending on Pinterest. And it was going to be our way of spending time together. Um, I told her, I said, leave the house in 30 minutes and uh, I'll have all the wood planed down and ready for you just to come in and build it. Because the night before, she kind of expressed that by the time we get done with the machining and preparation process for that, project she kind of loses the interest to move forward with the finishing process I said, welcome to my world um i gave her a kiss on the cheek i left around 215 243 i sent my wife a text message asking her hey if, have you left the house yet because i was going to have her grab something from the house that would have been helpful at the shop and i didn't get a response right away it's kind of normal my wife wasn't one to walk around with her hand on her phone the entire time waiting to respond to somebody um at 2.47, my daughter called me and um, she said, mommy wasn't waking up. And uh, this is my eight-year-old daughter on the phone. I, I, I asked her, I said, Kelsey, is mommy still breathing? Yeah, she's still breathing. So in my mind, being a medic, air exchange equals good thing. Um, my immediate concern goes to managing her mental health through this. So she's just not watching mommy decay, basically, on the ground. Um, 
I, it took me 13 minutes to get home throughout the phone call. I was telling her, go get a towel, put it behind mommy's neck, go get a washcloth, wipe her head. And is mommy still breathing? I would ask her every couple minutes. Um, little did I know that what she was seeing as air exchange was actually agonal breaths. Um, I wasn't on ground to see the, the types of breaths that she was taking, uh, which was something that, man, I... I I beat myself up a lot about for a while. Why did I just hang up the phone and call 911 right away? But my mind was on helping Kelsey stay calm in that moment. And uh, we made it through it. She unlocked the door. I came in the door right away and I knew I started CPR after checking, uh, checking her airway, checking for a pulse, no pulse. Immediately began CPR, 911. I about that. 911 on one phone, and I was calling my other children on the other phone. So I had my phone on 911 and my wife's phone on. I'm calling Hunter, and I just she gets on the phone. I tell her you need to get here. Your phone's not responding. Um, when the EMS trucks got here, they hooked her up to the monitor. They had no rhythm. They had uh, no electrical activity. By the time that they left, they had her in VTAC which is a good indication. They, they started getting electrical rhythm back in the heart, which means that it's paceable. They could start taking different measures. 90 minutes later, they got a pulse at the uh, Cape Fear Regional Hospital. Um, they let me sit in the waiting room. They had everybody cleared out because COVID had just hit. They were panicking about everything, but they let me sit in the waiting room. They called me back after they had got a pulse back and I went back and seen her. They were taking her up for... Um, a CT scan and then I, I was told to go home and wait for a phone call and that when they got her up to ICU they would let me come see her again uh, they took her up to the cardiac surgery unit uh, intensive care unit and the next day on the 30th at about 6 p.m. we had got the results back from the uh, CT scan that confirmed that she had sustained um, extensive brain damage And that she would have to, uh, we would have to make the decision on what we wanted to do next, meaning we could keep her on. Uh, at the time, she was on three different uh, blood pressure medicines to keep her blood pressure at about 110 over 75 maxed out. And then she was also on um, two different types of medicine to help monitor the rhythm in your heart, the electrical rhythm. So... They had her on all these medicines and my wife and I being the logical, analytical, prepared people that we are talked about this very situation. You know, usually when we sat down to talk about it, I had always assumed that I would be on the other side of it, you know, knowing how destructive of a lifestyle that I've lived for so long and, and some of my healthy living habits haven't always been so healthy. Um, my wife was always the one to take preventive measure checks, preventive medicine checks, like go into the hospital, make sure everything was okay, labs are drawn, um, eating healthy, exercising regularly. Um, she had just went in for a cardiac stress test the year before, um, which is why her having a heart attack was just completely unexpected. Um, so... 
it was about nine o'clock. They again broke all the rules in the hospital to let my family and the kids come up and say goodbye. We sat in there for about an hour and about 10 o'clock p.m. We took her off all of her medicine and I sat in the bed with her and I rubbed her head until 4.05 in the morning when she had passed. Um, her heart stopped and the breathing stopped and I sat there for another five minutes and I got up and I left. It was over. She was gone. Um, in reality, Jamie was gone long before that. Um, her brain wasn't there. Um, it was us holding on to a shell and, and trying to sustain life with medicine. And that was one thing we'd always discussed that if we couldn't take in food on our own and take in water on our own, we didn't want to be here to put the other one through the effects of what might have followed, even if we would have got the seizures in her brain to stop even if we would have got our heart healthy enough and figured out what was wrong in there. Um, we didn't do an autopsy. We didn't embalm her. Um, I didn't want to be that invasive with her. I wanted her to go in the ground the same way that she came to this world um, as naturally as she could. Uh, I, I can't express the amount of gratitude that I have in my heart from support from people like you, Annette and Kelly, and uh, just the amount of people that reached out in that initial 24 hours while I was still in the hospital to make sure that the kids had food delivered to the house, to make sure that there was toys and crayons and coloring supplies and stuff for the kids to do while I was focused on being with her. And it was really comforting to know that I had this support behind me that I did that I had established these connections with a group of strangers in Washington, D.C. just six months earlier. I mean, I am a, I'm a, I don't know if religious is the right way to put it, but I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And I believe that everybody comes into your life for a reason, no matter how short or long it is. And just knowing that, I had met a group of entrepreneurs, veteran entrepreneurs, that in the thick of it, they stood by my side unrelentingly. Brandon Cox, BMC accountant, um, he is a guy that I hired out. Jamie got me to hire this man about 15 months before this um, to get my business taxes straight. And he stepped up and provided a huge blessing. Uh, he organized a GoFundMe campaign that covered every penny of the burial expenses and final expenses for Jamie. Ian Walker, uh, a guy that's come to me and bought wood in the past. He's a knife maker. He moved down south now. Um, he had a raffle for a knife that ended up filling the last part of that gap there. So through it all, you know, I've never felt alone. I've never felt abandoned. I felt a lot of confusion and anger and stuff like that at the God, but I never once doubted his presence or his ability to provide um, if that was his goal. And I think that it's been confirmed in the way that people have talked to me since her passing, that her death will touch and reach more people than if God would have stepped in and performed a miracle in that moment. The moment would have been fleeting, but the bondage that comes out of this pain is permanent. 
and I, I really want to dig in there for a moment, but we live, we live in, a, in a day and age where we're so quick to gravitate to the next amazing thing that if God would have provided that miracle and touched her heart and saved her brain and, and sent her home to me, it would have been a moment in time that we would have looked back on with relatively little acknowledgement of what God did after the initial phase of it. Nobody would have been talking about that time when Jamie was saved three months down the road. They would be focused on the next thing. But every day, people are coming into my path saying that they're thinking about me and Jamie, that it brought them back to prayer, that it brought them back to pursuing a relationship with God. And that, to me, as hard as it is to admit it, means a lot more than Jamie being saved because I know Jamie is no longer suffering with chronic anxiety and, and living in that, that state that she was in. She's free and she's happy and she's making the most amazing pieces of art. I think Jamie knew it was coming. I have a piece of art of hers, and she had told me about this dream over two years ago where she was sitting on the edge of a hole in a dive suit. I mean, she did the research on the helmet, remembered what it looked like, found out it was a shallow diving water repair vessels. Um, and it was, she went and did a charcoal illustration of it, and in the reflection of the dive mask, was her funeral. So I believe that God had prepared her and prepared our family for this exact moment. And I have to have faith in exactly what I said before, that more people will come to know the Lord because of her passing than will have ever known about this situation if a miracle would have been performed. Your words are absolutely something that I think we all really need to pay attention to because I know that for me, you know, I grew up Catholic and we used to go to church all the time but as i grew older i lost my way because i used to be angry when things didn't happen the way that i thought and i would take things for granted and then now into my mid 40s is when i finally realize all the things that he was trying to tell me or show me and it makes me appreciate things even more so to hear you and hear you say what his plan was and what Jamie left and how she touched so many people's lives is absolutely true. I, I really believe it because, you know, as much as we all want her here, as bad as we want her here, you have just shown us that if we believe in what his plan is, then it will 
kind of make more sense. And so I know that for myself and Tammy and Kelly, we constantly talk about you and how much you have shown us in in strength and even Jacqueline I have to mention her too because her and I talk a lot about you and we're always just like so we're just so amazed like you just you you taught us so much so both of you Jamie will forever be in all of our hearts and minds and what she left behind and then your strength and your courage and your motivation to keep going and showing us pieces that she has left her art and how she touched your life and how she helped you be a better person. It's all, it'll always be there. And, you know, I'm just so, I know I'm, I'm so grateful that you've shared a piece of her with, with me, whether it's through social media or not, you know, I think, like you said, we met people at a military influencer conference through an online Facebook group, the Vetpreneur Tribe, and wow, did we ever think that they would really be our our little extended family? You know, we never thought that, but God did. He 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 puts people in our lives when we least expect it, and then during our darkest moments is when you you see that. So I. I I appreciate you being here to to share this story. Oh. And you know, I how how is it now with the kids and you know, just it's you. You are you are still leaving that legacy for her behind. It's the kid uh, first of all, the kids have been amazing they've been strong um i mean they still bicker like siblings but in the, in the thick of it you know my oldest steps up and helps me watch kelsey my youngest when i need to go to work for a little bit and i haven't even returned to work full time yet i go in i might get two or three days a week you know and when i go in it's four to six hours a day because for me right now, the most important part is making sure that I'm available for my kids. Even if they want nothing to do with me, that I'm here and I'm available for them. Um, there's times, uh, I think my, my daughter has developed a really logical and realistic fear of, of me passing now. So she's always worried about that. Um, and so we made sure that she has a way to communicate with me. So if I am away from the house, she can pick up her phone at any time and call me or FaceTime me and I can, yeah, I'm doing good. Um, she comes out and watches me train. So we, I started getting back in the gym and start to try to relieve some of that stress through that route. She'll come watch me train. My son has been amazing. He's, he helps out about as much as any teenager does, but he doesn't do it with the attitude that he once does. I think as a family, in this and under this roof, we've come together immensely. I mean, we still have growing pains. There's still times when we have to work through or communicate through things. It's not perfect, but I think with what we're facing, the way that we've come together has said a lot about who we raised our kids to be. My daughter's always asking me like, Hey, are you thinking about mommy when she sees me looking sad? So she'll come over and she'll rub my back and she'll give me a hug or, 
you know, and she's thinking about her, she can come up to me and start talking about her. And we have that moment where we exchange that memory and we let that grief come. We feel it, we acknowledge it and we let it go. And that's what I try to teach her is that it's okay to be sad about this, but don't let it like paralyze us. Don't let it stop us from continuing forward. Um, you know, even in, even as I face decisions like kids not going back to school because COVID, like what does work look like once my oldest goes back to college because they're opening up the campus, but the classes are online. So she's going to be leaving. And what does my work schedule look like when everybody else has got to worry about their kids staying home as well and doing the schooling and stuff? So there's still a lot of things that I have to figure out before I can step fully into the entrepreneur realm again. But I guess through their strength, through their encouragement, I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion, I don't think that I want to put down Balish Woodworks, which was an option for a short period of time of becoming a full-time stay-at-home dad. You know, I have that financial freedom that I could step into that role, uh, but I don't think that it would be the best decision. Um, and there's a lot of other things playing out and I'll let them kind of play out in the business world. But as a family, we've been, We've been really kind of pressing into each other a lot, uh, trying to make healthy lifestyle changes, you know, so that we help diminish the fear of the heart attack, of the diabetes, of all those other things that could potentially come from bad lifestyle choices. So we cut out the processed sugars as much as we can. We start eating more vegetables. We eat a little bit less, like we, we eat a little bit better together and we understand that that's part of the process and growing as, as a family as well as going through and making some of those changes. Not saying that we are eating unhealthy under Jamie's watch. That's not what I'm saying because we ate well, but we were a little bit relaxed on like when Kelsey wouldn't want to eat her vegetables. We would get sick of fighting her. She's really stubborn sometimes. So well, now there's, you know, I'll sit here all night with you, Kelsey. I got nothing else to do. I ain't even got to work tomorrow. Well, you gonna eat that broccoli girl. Uh, so it's, it's been, it's been a really good journey with them. They've made it, they've made it really pleasant in its grief. You know, we still find moments of joy together. We still find that time to create new happy memories while acknowledging, acknowledging the grief that comes along with this new phase in life. That's amazing, Kurt. I'm so, I'm so glad that you guys are able to go through this together and, and come out you guys too i mean all the time i can't again you guys have been amazing all my friends the from robert to amy to kelly to you to jacqueline uh i I will say it let's go down this tangent for a minute (laughs) so I, I, after Jamie passed, I really didn't want to talk to people for a while. I kind of wanted my space while I figured things out. I was still answering messages. I was going into like uh, message exchanges versus picking up the phone and talking to people. Um, and I wasn't even quite sure when or where I wanted to do this initial interview or this initial discussion after Jamie's passing because I wasn't sure if I would be ready for it. And um, I was joking with Robert on the phone and I said, if there's only two people that I can justify having me on their show for the first time after Jamie's passing, it would be Annette or Jacqueline. And I've already been on Jacqueline's show once and I had an amazing experience. Um, 
I kind of alluded to it before, but as we were talking, things were processing and I was, I was coming to more decisions and it was an amazing interview. And I must say that you guys have all been an amazing support channel. I can't, man, I can't express enough gratitude in my lifetime to say how happy I am to have people like you in my corner. You're, you're an amazing person. You have an amazing family and God definitely knew that we were supposed to be stuck in each other's lives. So <laughs> stuck. You're stuck with me. Deal with it. <laughs> Where? <laughs> oh. So where do you see where do you see Ballast Wearworks going in the next few years? What are your big plans? What do you want to do? So Ballish Woodworks through this process, I've actually stepped from the self-employed to the true entrepreneur. I got two employees. Uh, Daniel has been working with me for over a year and a half now. He's been with me for the long haul. He came in, he didn't know anything about working with his hands or the woodworking realm. And now he's he's a very stable and reliable apprentice. Um, I got another young man who I hired right after Jamie's passing to come in and take over production of like overseeing our egg cartons and doing the routering and setting up the machines, which he was a little bit more proficient in, which he also runs a woodworking business. Um, he, he's been in a great, amazing addition to the Ballish Woodworks team. So through the, the grieving process, I've stepped into entrepreneurship in its true form where I don't need to be there to keep the business open. I don't, I don't generate revenue when I'm not in the shop, but between the lumber sales that we, we provide for our region, um, we provide domestic and imported hardwood lumbers and premium softwoods to local craftsmen and professional woodworkers in our area. And between the sales and that and some of the smaller products that they create and sell, they're able to pay themselves and pay the overhead of operating in the shop. So for me, that's a win as a small business owner, the moment when through COVID, I can still keep two guys employed at their comfort level while giving them the education, the experience, the knowledge base to let them continue growing in the trade. Um, I think that's really important. We're really kind of trying to press into my dad moving um, what was my grandfather's shop down from Cleveland, Ohio to Fayetteville, North Carolina, where we'll set up a 2,400 square foot full industrial capability shop. We'll, we want to transition more into from the residential furniture into the commercial uh, and like um, executive furniture. Uh, but the residential furniture is fun. It's small enough that it's not a pain in the butt to handle. And it's, it's been growing. I, I receive more email leads a day than I can possibly even sit down and do estimates and designs on. Ballish Woodworks is growing really fast. And if my dad comes down here and it, it, before the end of the year, we move the shop, it'll expedite things. My dad will be able to step in and fill the floor man position while I step really focus on the next step which is the artisans outreach and that's finalizing the 501c3 uh, for that LLC we've already full so my dad will move down here hopefully by the end of the year and we'll step him into being more of the the overall production manager at Bausch Woodworks Um, the object is is to get him into a semi-retired position where it doesn't require all his time but he could come in and kind of do what I'm doing now, you know, three to four days a week, six to eight hour days, whatever he's comfortable with. It gives him um, 
an option, you know, to transition into retirement. He's been working hard all his life. So I would fill in and still be the face of Bellish Woodworks, but I would begin focusing more on the growth of the Artisans Outreach, which is the next phase in what we're trying to accomplish with Bellish Woodworks. Um, Bellish Woodworks has started surrounding ourselves with a community of artisans in leatherworking, blacksmithing, laser engraving, 3D printing, CNCing. Um, we have welders on standby to come join it. We have uh, potters that want to come take part in our program. And through the Artisans Outreach, we want to take and offer all those resources back to the military community at Fort Bragg, as well as veterans and their family members, and start teaching them trades, teaching them creative processes so they can start being functional with their time at home. Um, it's it, it, to me being creative with your hands is I kind of explained it earlier. It's about building confidence, building pride, building that those foundations for creating a stable mind. And I think it would be really important to offer that back to the military community. I've seen husbands and wives come in can, can and connect around making a cutting board together, fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons. So I got people coming in and building families and memories around a cutting board that they'll use for the rest of their life. And to me, that's more the connection that needs to happen rather than guy coming home from deployment, um, waiting to go out the door the next trip because things are starting to get stressful at home. The, the, the parent being stuck at home with raising all the kids by themselves. Whereas if we can teach them to work together before transitioning out of the military, I think we'd be able to see fam military families sticking together. We'd be able to see military veterans starting to have more stable mindset. Um, I think at one point, Greg Buddha had corrected me. I think I, I like, what's wrong? Like there's, this is wrong with us, you know? And he's like, no, there's really nothing wrong with us. We just, we need that next purpose, that next driver. So I kind of rethought my thought process into, instead of trying to help with PTSD, we're actually taking a proactive step in it by giving people a creative outlet to express themselves and work through their issues before they get to a crisis. Yeah. Um, and that's really what the foundation of the Artisans Outreach is about. It's about connecting the community with veterans, the veterans with the artisans, and the artisans with everybody so that when we come together, we create something that's bigger than just us. We're creating the connection between two people, not just the object. You're given a sense of brotherhood after exiting service to the guys that feel like once they're off the team, they're not getting checked in on as much. So we're trying to bridge that gap between the crisis moment in a veteran's life and getting out of service and having that camaraderie and that brotherhood. And that's all gonna be accomplished through the Artisans Outreach. And as we continue going on five, 10 years down the road, we're gonna launch our bigger project, which is the Artisans Mill. And that's gonna be where we actually have all of these artisans under one roof, 50,000 square feet of creative outlets and people to come together. So no matter who you are, you can come in with an idea. If you got glass blowing that needs to be mixed with woodworking and metalworking, you got all them artisans under one roof to collaborate and create something that is truly for a unique vision. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> I That's absolutely amazing. And it, it is, it's so needed because you're right. You need, sometimes veterans need that. They need that purpose. They need to use their hands and creative outlet to be able to deal with, with some things. And so I think that's perfect. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to see that. And I need to get down there one day, darn it. So 
We happen to make it down here. I got a I got a spare room in the back. You can you can stay your night in the back room, and you can come visit town. All you got to do is cover the gas and the time to get away from your hectic life up there. I know it's easier said than done, but you're always welcome here. No, I really I appreciate that. Kelly and I have been talking about that. Actually, we we really wanted to go down there, so I'm gonna have to talk to her and see when we when we can make that happen. Yeah. Um. Gosh, Kurt, thank you so much for sharing everything and i do want to make sure you guys know about ballishwoodworks.com uh, i'm going to put that in the show notes i'm going to also put that in the podcast guide but for you men out there y'all need this t-shirt because it's hilarious so look for sawdust as man glitter <laughs> i just saw that and it was just so funny so yeah. <laughs> That there, that's also a really good opportunity to talk about those connections again. Ginger and David, um, they run a t-shirt printing company and they do a lot of other work. We order our coffee mugs from them. But when we were starting to grow the Artisans Outreach, like how can we help? Can we sell t-shirts for you? So what they do is every time they sell a t-shirt, they set aside $10 off that t-shirt sale to funnel into the Artisans Outreach and us funding another seat for another veteran, active duty member or a family member to come to our class. These connections that we're making and the synergism that's happening between these entrepreneurs. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, you could stop by our website, www.ballishwoodworks.com. The opening banner talks about the t-shirt. You can click on the Artisans Outreach link, find out a little bit more about the nonprofit and what we hope to accomplish and achieve here in the Fayetteville, Fort Bragg area. Um, we are constantly staying engaged with our community, networking with local entrepreneurs, trying to bring their products into our showroom. Um, so if you're looking for veterans that are able to do reliable work in the Fayetteville area, please reach out to us. If you have any questions, even if they're outside of the woodworking or the, the leather crafting or any of those other related artisans trades, we got a, nearly a veteran or a veteran family member for everything here in our area. I love it. That is so awesome. Yeah, you you need to go go to the website and check it out because uh, I for uh, for example at the at the conference we got your coasters and I use it every day so I love it and my next my next dream and goal is to get one of your your cutting boards so you're gonna come down for a class and make your own <laughs> oh my gosh okay <laughs> so go to his website and yes once you you know go back and re-listen to this podcast because he just, the things that you said, you know, we need to listen to it over and over and just appreciate, appreciate life. So Kurt, really, thank let me, you. Let me step in really quick. That isn't things that I've said. That is things that I've been led to say. That's things that have been revealed to me through prayer, through, through meditation and stuff like that. So those aren't my words. I think those are his words. Um, I don't want to take credit for his words. <laughs> No, I appreciate that. I, I do. And so his words coming from you, he's using you to, to reach us. And I think it's so important. So thank you so much. I wish you all the best and you're stuck with me. So whatever you need, you reach out. Thanks, Annette. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to your wonderful audience as well for listening. Thank you. All we need is a little understanding Walk a mile in their shoes And if we keep our hearts open-minded We'll enjoy this wild ride called life And if we keep our 
enjoy this wild ride, this wild ride called life.